This is The Analysis, a weekly examination of the culture in light of truth. I'm Deanna Huff. And I'm Mark DeMoss. Join us as we investigate and analyze the environment of the world where we live. We will be shedding the light of God's Word on the issues. And responding as Christians to influence followers of Jesus Christ to share the gospel with those around them. This week, Pastor Mark, we're going to be talking about a question and how to answer it. And that is, when people are using Scripture on both sides of the argument, how do we get to the truth? And it comes out of watching a couple of things over the last week. One was a debate with Mike Adams, who debated Dr. Willie Parker. And Dr. Willie Parker is an abortionist, claims to be a Christian. And Mike Adams, a Christian town hall writer, among many other things that he does. And they had a debate over whether or not abortion is right. Then the second thing that came out this week was regarding the Methodist Church. They voted on whether or not they were going to ban gay clergy and same-sex marriage, and the decision that came down was very, very close in nature. And so the question does arise when people are using Scripture on both sides. LGBT is using Scripture. People who are non-LGBT are using Scripture. So how do we get to the truth of the matter? And, and that's a difficult question because um, you'll hear people use the Scripture, and, and I think you, you, need, to, you need to begin and, and remember this, that um, uh, Satan and the demons um, know, know the history uh, of the world since creation, uh, since, since they were created. They're aware of what has been written in Scripture. And just because you can invoke Scripture uh, does not mean you're a believer. Uh, Satan knows that God is real and, and believes that God is true and believes the Scripture is real, but is not a follower, a worshiper, and adorer of Christ. And so um, I, I think you just begin there and always thinking about, okay, this person is using Scripture and so uh, they, they, they have to be saying something that, that's true. And um, you, can, you can invoke true statements and use them falsely. And, and that's, that's a practice that isn't, that's nothing new, right? The false teachers from the Old Testament, false teachers that, that uh, Jesus warned about, false teachers that Paul dealt with and, and Peter dealt with in writing of, of the New Testament, uh, and warning about false teachers. Uh, they were they were false teachers of the scriptures. They weren't just um, they didn't come bringing out something that was completely off the radar. Mm-hmm. They came bearing a symbol of truth, uh, and it, it had to be discerned, and it had to be figured out. It's one of the reasons Paul, uh, you know, wanted to commend the Bereans uh, that they were going to look at this in light of the rest of Scripture. And so I think that's kind of a beginning point. Remember that uh, the the ones behind false teaching, Satan and demons, they are aware of Scripture, understand that false teaching is going to always include some measure of truth. And, and so then it becomes our duty 
to put that in light of the whole of the scriptural testimony. Mm-hmm. You know, I think another thing is that when people are kind, I think that we equate that with truth. Um, and and I'm not saying that kindness is not truthful. Right. But what I am saying is that Ted Bundy was kind. Right. Right? Yeah. So that can't be the weight of our argument. Someone who is extending this graceful way of speaking or someone who's who's extending a harsh way of speaking, we can't evaluate claims on emotional extensions, right? right? And we know that 2 Corinthians 11 states that there are men who are going to be false apostles in the church, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself mm-hmm. as an angel of light. So it is not surprising if the servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. And this is a really important matter, especially in our time, because we have claims on both sides Mm -hmm. and we've lost the way in being able to evaluate critically and to think through the issues of the day. And because we're we're in a time where we have a biblical famine in the land, yeah. you know, we, we're not as familiar with God's word. So these are some of the things that we're going to have to recognize that we fall short in these categories. But we don't have to stay there, do we? No, no. In the Old Testament, I, I think it, it may be a Micah where they're dying for lack of truth. Uh, there, you mentioned the word famine in the land. Uh, the the real starvation they were under was there was no truth, and and we're in that same place today. And so in the lack in the lack of true biblical knowledge and a in a in a lack of biblical literacy, then all of these things sound true, and and you can pluck from scripture and confuse the the weak of scripture. Uh, or cause the third party disinterested to view them as equal weighted argument. Well, you're arguing from the way you read the Bible. They're arguing from the way they read the Bible. So I'm going to go with who I like better. I'm going to go with who's more kind. I'm going to go with with who seems to have given the better argument and, and performed better in their discussion. And and I, I'm concerned for our young people and, and, and people going into college over that very issue. Uh, if they go in weak-minded on the scriptures, uh, they're going they're going to face these kinds of arguments, and not just from professors. Uh, you know, I think a lot of times we worry about the professor that's going to undo everything that we've trained our kids in. I'm really more concerned about the co- the colleagues, their fellow students that they'll they'll get to know, they'll start to really like. I really like this person. I like this guy. I like this girl. They're super friendly. They know what they're talking about. They study hard. They work hard. They're a good person, but they don't believe the way I do. They didn't grow up in a, in a home like ours. They weren't taught that these things were wrong, but they do go to church or they go to my campus club or they, they've read their Bible or they ask me Bible questions, but they don't, they don't come to the same conclusions I do. And I'm more worried about that undoing truth or causing doubts in truth than really I am at the professor level. Yeah, and that's really Dr. Parker as well, right? Because what does he say? He says, I am doing God's work, 
and he's an abortion doctor. He says he's doing God's work, and he says he's doing it because he's following the story of the great of the Good Samaritan. Yeah. And in the Good Samaritan, what happens is there is uh, someone who's wounded on the side of the road, and right. these people walk by, and they basically don't help him. And then they have the Samaritan who walks by, helps him, bandages him up, and leaves him with pay to be taken care of, right? Yeah. And he says that he's doing this for women, but what is actually taking place? Yeah. A life is being taken away. Yeah. A life is being cut short, and there's no value of humanity for that life that's inside yeah. the woman. Yeah, it's a, such a short-sighted argument. And uh, um, it, is there woundedness in in this lady that's needing care? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, every one of those cases is different, and I, I, I'm sure that you know, uh, working with an organization that I do that provides. Uh, uh, crisis pregnancy services uh, from a Christian perspective um, I know that many of those many of those ladies that are seeking abortion are under crisis and there's brokenness in their life mm-hmm. there's no doubt about that um, what what is being discovered and not just from a Christian perspective but from the sociological and psychological world as well is most women walk out of the abortion more wounded uh, more devastated, carrying more burden, more guilt than they had from whatever their circumstances were that led to the crisis pregnancy. And so in many ways you're adding to the burden. Uh, uh, I, I, I would want to think with him through that Good Samaritan story and go, okay, so uh, I bandaged up these wounds, but I'm going to break your leg. You know, I fixed these things, but I'm going to do this harm to you. And, and that's what I... I it's, so, it's short-sighted. You're not looking to the greater harm. And then you're just forgetting about the fact that, oh, to fix your wound, I'm killing an innocent life. The Good Samaritan story isn't about, I helped you by killing this innocent person. You know, uh, How does that fit? Where's the connection? Uh, but I'm fearful that people would hear that and go, oh, he argued from the Good Samaritan. He is being a Good Samaritan. Look at how kind he's being by doing this and helping these poor, shattered, broken women. Mm-hmm. And they're missing they're they're missing the point of the biblical story, and they're not thinking through the logical consequences of what's actually occurring. Yeah, and we really have to do that with every single claim, every single argument, and and we're warned of this from the pages of the Old Testament, the pages of the New Testament, yeah. even in Jeremiah, when the writing in chapter six. It says, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the way and see and ask for the ancient path. Where the good way is, walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, and the response is, We will not walk in it. Which is very interesting to me. And then it says, And I set a watchman over you saying, Listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not listen. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, if we are considering the argument and we actually lay it out and look at it and look at both sides and come back to Scripture and evaluate it in the whole of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, we can see whether or not the argument is consistent all the way through. But we're not doing that. And so 
what are some things that we could do to be able to move that forward in teaching our young people teaching people in our homes in our churches in our schools i teach in a christian school and so i have the opportunity to be able to say hey wait a second what's the other side of the argument that's one of the first questions that i will ask yeah what's the other side what does scripture say about both sides yeah yeah i i, I think also you 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 start with um uh, ephesians five eighteen, uh which begins with do not be drunk with wine for that's debauchery but be filled with the spirit and so not worried about the wine part at this point just be filled with the spirit as a believer it is my responsibility to be filled with the spirit and um there's a command there and yet there's a there's a there's a passiveness to that it's be filled right so mm-hmm. i've got to put myself in a position where i can be filled by the holy spirit who is the 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 spirit of god the spirit of wisdom the spirit of truth i mean who is the holy spirit what's his function he's the spirit of truth he's the spirit of knowledge he's the spirit of god so be filled with the spirit right mm-hmm. so how do i put myself in a position to be filled with the spirit um well the scripture shows us that that's you daily walk with the Lord. You're daily reading His Word. You're spending time in prayer. You're being obedient to the truth that you know to be true, so that you're not you're not hindering the Holy Spirit's work and activity in your life. So you're you're doing the things you know. You're repenting of known sin, right? You're practicing spiritual disciplines. You're a worshiper. You're a church attender. You're right. So I'm in a position to be filled with the Holy Spirit because He's the Spirit of Truth, and 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 that's that's kind of a Prerequisite, mm-hmm. and then just good hermeneutical principle. Uh, if I'm a believer, being filled with the Spirit, every believer can go through the hermeneutical principles of studying the Bible and get it right. That I'm going to interpret Scripture with Scripture. That I'm going to read Scripture as as literal. And literal doesn't mean if it's symbolic, I forget the symbol. You read it for what every piece of literature in the Bible is unique. And so I read it for what it is. Psalms are poetic. So they're going to have symbolism in them. Uh, so by reading them literally, I understand what the symbol is pointing to, and I follow that. I, I, I take the principles of good literary study, uh, and, and, and I interpret with the whole of Scripture. I, I look at the big picture. I try to understand who it was written to, why it was written, and and then what that meant for that people in that day and how that then gets applied to me in my day. Those are just the principles of how to study the Bible. Yeah, and that's just such a great word in not only understanding that we have to be walking in the Spirit, right? Not submitting to our flesh, mm-hmm. uh, having the mind of Christ, taking every thought captive. Yeah. And what does Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? He says it in John 14 and mm-hmm. John 16. He says, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper, mm-hmm. that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. And in 16, you know, the Spirit leads you, will guide you in all truth. Yeah. Now, that may take some time of learning, right? right? But He's leading as we are putting ourselves before God's Word to be able to understand and ask and 
and ask the Father that He would make these things clear to us, and He will do those things. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it goes back to an old illustration that uh, about the U.S. Treasury and knowing a counterfeit dollar bill versus a, a genuine one. It goes back to that illustration. Know the true dollar bill. I'm not going to train you in every counterfeiting tool. I'm going to train you to know what money looks like, feels like, smells like. It's where as soon as you see it, you know it's good or it's bad. And that's what we're doing with biblical truth. Like when you watch the debate with Mike Adams and Dr. Willie Parker, mm-hmm. if you hadn't known where they were coming from or the background, something in your spirit would have gone, Good Samaritan, what? What? Mm-hmm. How can you use that for this? Like the spirit of truth in you would have reacted against that. And then you could have gone and reread the story and thought through that issue and, and I think you would have still come to the conclusion this isn't this isn't a good sound argument like this isn't good right and because you know the truth and mm-hmm. so the the truth responds in you to falsehood mm-hmm. and we should continue to keep doing these things we need to keep reading God's word and we need to study and be students and Bereans that will advocate for the truth and you know, always remember Proverbs eighteen seventeen. the first to plead his case seems right until another comes along and examines him. We need to be good examiners. We need to be able to learn how to articulate God's word and God's truth and not be afraid or shrink back. And we continue to do these things by being in church every Sunday or Saturdays for some people, I'm sure. Uh, but at any rate, You should be in a Bible-believing church, and we look forward to being together next time.